going on, everybody? E- this is SecDevOps.ai. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back. Today, we have a special guest. We've been trying to get this guy on for weeks now. He finally <laughs> found some space in his calendar for us. Charles Nuatu. he is the lead of corporate security at Netflix, really good friend of mine, and he is here today to talk to us about vulnerability. Yes, uh, thanks, Chris, for having me on today. Thanks, Ron, for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Uh, yeah. Chris, you know, we've... We've had some great conversations on this internally at work. Yeah. And we just say, let's expand it into the, into the podcast. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be a great show. But for everybody listening and the people who are watching on YouTube, why don't you give us a rundown? Because I actually looked at your bio for the first time. Like, even though I've known you for months, I just looked at your bio like today. And I was like, well, I, did, I didn't know you did that. <laughs> I didn't know you did that. So if you could give us like the elevator pitch of Charles Nwatu, that'd be great. So I, I would say like my elevator pitch uh, about security is like I try to do security with grace and what I mean by that is I try to meet people where they are on their security journey I try to help them get from point A to point B by really truly understanding the individual's perspective so I've had the, the ability to do build out security teams yep. I, I just love mentoring building out teams I've been able to do that at LinkedIn uh, Stitch Fix uh, Twilio and now mm-hmm. working at uh, Netflix I'm doing the same thing I'm really really excited about that but I say my, my pitch is security with grace meet people where they're at and bring them for the journey that's awesome man you practice that. <laughs> I, that actually came from my wife. Like, oh, okay, like, wow. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, that's something I took from my wife. She's always talking about, you know, you have to have grace when you meet with people. you got to yeah, have some humility. Absolutely. And that will have an empathetic relationship. And talking about vulnerability, I think all this ties together. So I'm really, really excited to sort of deep dive into that. Are, are you more excited about this podcast or uh, Bad Boys 3? <laughs> <laughs> I actually say this podcast because this is something we've been wanting to talk about for a while. Yep. So I say the podcast for real. Yeah, absolutely. So let let's kick it off uh, with like talking about what vulnerability is. So well, what are we going to be discussing today? What are the topics? Yeah, we're talking about vulnerability and diversity because wow. they kind of go hand in hand in some ways. Yes. Yeah, they do. I, I would have to say they do. I think uh, the one thing when we talk about vulnerability, we're not talking about vulnerability management people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Personal vulnerability. Yeah. So so if you got excited and you went and got your popcorn, I'm sorry. And then now you're like, oh, come on. These guys are talking about just regular vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're talking about that individual, that, that, that person no vulnerability that the one that allows for a human connection to take place absolutely that's what we're about to deep dive into today yep definitely so yeah what do you guys think like in your own mind what is vulnerability i will let you uh kick that one <laughs> off because that one is uh, a loaded loaded that's a loaded question it is a loaded question it's really hard to answer and even like me just sitting here right now i'm thinking like what is like the shortest way to sort of describe what vulnerability is and to me vulnerability is basically exposing yourself for the greater good so showing a bit of yourself that you don't necessarily feel 100 percent comfortable with but you feel like that the greater good outweighs like your discomfort. And so it's, that's what vulnerability is to me. Yeah, I would say the, just to piggyback off what you said, Chris, like, you know, I've been telling you, like, my goal is to stretch myself to be, feel comfortable being uncomfortable right. um, in a way that, you know, there's you hear people talk about, like, how do you bring your full self to work? How do you yep. bring your full self out there? And especially from, you know, different perspectives and backgrounds that we represent even at this table. Like, how do you bring that into their workplace? How do you bring that into an inviting environment that allows people to connect with you to further a cause, a goal, or et cetera? So, I, like, vulnerability to me is just like you said, like, bringing a side of yourself 
that you are so comfortable with or even uncomfortable with and like knowing that, hey, this is for the betterment of myself and hopefully the perspectives and experiences around me. Yep, absolutely. So those are two great answers. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. What about you, Ron? You can't can't escape. Next question. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that vulnerability is what is going on right now, is answering the question of what vulnerability is, even though that's something that's hard to define. uh, Right. Just uh, going and trying to uh, show something and not really uh, caring about whether it's right or it's wrong. You're just showing it could be your hand, it could be your feelings, it could be your emotions, it could be your situation. So I think just showing it for what it's worth is like really vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. I wish we had Brene Brown here so she can like just give it like a perfect like definition. <laughs> yeah. And be like, oh, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. Quick plug, uh, Brene Brown, if you're listening, uh, we'd love to have you on the podcast. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> I would second that. <laughs> so, uh, uh Going within vulnerability, there are different facets of vulnerability. There's personal vulnerability, like in your your relationships, with your friendships, with the people that you know. And then there's also like a professional vulnerability, right? So if we want to look at, let's go with personal vulnerability first. Like what are some examples that you guys could like pull from like your background of like being like personally vulnerable? So for me, for instance... Uh, I've been doing a lot of soul searching since I've been out here on my own, uh, really like digging into the nitty gritty of, of who I am and, and what I need to work on personally. And one thing that I've always kind of had a problem with is is balance, balance in my ambition and also continuing to support like my family, my kids, my wife and all of these things because they pay a sacrifice. Uh, they're still in Atlanta, Georgia right now. I'm out here trying to, you know, uh, get some legs underneath us so when they come out we have a house we have uh, a, a good uh, job that I, I'm hopefully making progress on you know mm-hmm. uh, so that's something that I've been looking at and I end up writing a story and I think you know you both read this story yes uh, but um, it's basically uh, Icarus's balloon uh, for those of you that haven't read it uh, we'll leave it in the the show notes and I'll also share it on LinkedIn as well again uh, whenever we post this stuff uh, but it was basically about uh, finding the balance between uh, your ambitions a- and your family because there there is definitely a decision that needs to be made. I think it's it's ignorant if, if people don't think that there is a decision for that. Uh, but for me, like being able to tell that story was me kind of being vulnerable because it was me showing that it was something that I was struggling with. And so I, I was like, I was like, man, it, it hurt to actually come to that conclusion that I was like, man, am I am I overdoing the ambition and I'm not thinking about my family so much? Right. But uh, I felt like the greater good would be to publish that story for other people. Because when I published it, people started to to look at it and they were like, I feel the same way. Wow, you know, you, you kind of inspired something in me to kind of like, you know, readdress like, you know, the balance in my own personal life. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's talk about what you guys do in like your personal lives. So for me, that's a that's a great uh, point, you know, just keeping that balance. Uh, I've noticed that I found myself in situations where I've taken a lot of opportunity to mentor people and feeling somewhat of a obligation to always show up to, you know, the maximum degree. And that's what I kind of strive for anyways. But right. how do I get there? I think it's by being vulnerable, be, being vulnerable enough to seek out help. Yeah. How can I get help so I can always show the best part of myself? So one of the things that I did that I didn't really believe in at first was yoga. Mm -hmm. So I was 
battling through like how do I uh, revitalize my mind and my body? Yeah. How do I get back to that you know factory restore state of myself so I yeah. can show up for my mentees and show up for everybody else in my life? Right. So I think being vulnerable to go to a yoga class like, oh, that's alone, huge. Yeah. alone and just say, all right, I know the benefits of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm going to take the time out to give it a shot and see what happens. Yeah, because you could look silly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you can't, and you can't compare yourself to everybody else because they've been going to yoga for years. Right. And here you come, you can barely touch your toes. Yeah. I, I mean, I ran into that uh, when I went to yoga. The same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Very. I mean, the interesting part is that, you know, you recognize that everyone has a different starting point. Yep. When it comes to their journey to, like, how they talk about their vulnerabilities. And as we're talking about, you know, our professional vulnerabilities versus our personal ones, like, I know for me, for personally, like, as Chris mentioned, like, I came out here, um, well, five years ago before the rest of my family did. And I had time to sort of be with myself to really figure out, like, what is it that I want to do? Yeah. Like, what is it that I'm striving for that I'm leaving the East Coast to come out West? Like, what is the foundation that I'm trying to build? Why am I building this foundation? Can I build this foundation? There's a lot of addressing that self-doubt. I wouldn't. Even, I don't call it imposter syndrome at that standpoint because it's more of just for me personally. Was just like, like, all right, you put the chips in. You're betting on yourself. What does that look like? You know, my wife, my kids. Like, what does that investment look like on them? What are the pains that they're going to be going through? Was I aware of those pains? And looking back now. I can say, like, hey, the, the experience has been great. There have been lessons we've learned, both good and bad. And it's been a journey that, you know, without putting yourself out there, uh, you, won't, you won't get a chance to experience it. Like, my wife has a saying, like, go out on the limb. That's where the fruit is. So, I mean, you can stay close to the, to the tree. But if you don't go out to the limb to at least try to get to the fruit, you never even, you don't even have the option of trying the fruit. Right, absolutely. Very but once true. you taste it, it can be very sweet. Yes. Yeah, and then going back to your article, it could be very addicting. Yeah, it can. <laughs> You're like, let, let's let this balloon grow. Let's see how, get, how big it'll get. Uh, uh, one of the cool things uh, in the Brene Brown uh, video, if you guys have Netflix, uh, check it out, Brene Brown. It's uh, uh, Call to Courage, I think it's yeah, called. Courage. Uh, it, she talks about this quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt, right? And uh, the basically to paraphrase, it, it's basically – if you are going to do something like you're do it, like whether you're going to fail, you're going to have missteps, you're going to get beat up, like she says, but you're out, you're out there. If you're just going to just sit in a safe place, that's nice and comfortable. You're never going to either see, you're not going to see victory and you're not going to see defeat. You're just going to live in this like gray area. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a, a great example that she brought up the analogy she used, like being in the arena, like thinking about being in the yep. Coliseum. Absolutely. Like, there's so many cheap seats now that everyone can sort of like, you know, throw stones and so, you know, say, hey, look what you did. But the people that are actually in the arena on the floor, at least attempting to battle, whatever that battle may be for them. Yep. They at least tried or they're trying and they could be uh, victorious or they have defeat. But at least they know that they put themselves out there to give them the opportunity to Huge. get to one of those two points. Yep. It's different than sitting on the sideline. You're either in the game or you're not. Yep, absolutely. Very true. I like uh, what you were touching on with uh, impost- imposter syndrome and also, you know, sh- being vulnerable. I-, I think that, you know, when you're vulnerable for the first time ever, maybe you're doing your first presentation at a con or, yep. or you know, something new like yoga even. Yep. Uh, 
it, it's definitely easy. You could be doing great. It's definitely easy to fall into that imposter syndrome feeling. What are some things that you guys think of when you guys find yourselves in those thought patterns? So imposter syndrome for me is such a, a dangerous and like limiting thing. <laughs> uh, I, people get it. I mean, I've gotten it throughout my career. But I feel like when people have imposter syndrome, they hide that vulnerability. They don't want to show that they have a weakness. They don't want to show that they don't know something. And it, and it actually creates the opposite of a learning environment because you're like, I don't want to say that I don't know anything, so I'm just going to stay quiet. Mm -hmm. But if you can find the, the vulnerability and the courage to say, I don't know that. I would love to learn more. This is what I do know. I think that's way more impactful. I think people will receive it better than you not saying anything at all. Because I think as human beings, we're intuitive and we can kind of observe when people are sort of hiding uh, or, or trying to show face when, when they actually don't know something. And I think that's an thing, okay thing to have is, is to not know something. So whenever I hear something I don't know about, I raise my hand. Uh, I don't I don't know what that acronym means. What, what, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Or that process or like... When I look at code, sometimes I don't know what it says. So I have to take take it to somebody else on the team and say, hey, I don't know what this says. Like, can, can you, like, run through this with me? So I, I think that that's huge for imposter syndrome. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off of that, we were on a panel, uh, on our OWASP panel at yep. Netflix a, week, a while ago. And one of, like, one of the things as a manager, like, I like to over-index on building family type of environments in my groups. I just, I just, I'm just a people person by nature. So I like to create environments that allow people to ask the questions. Yep. Like, there's a safe space to ask the questions. There's a safe space to fail. I believe that failure is one of the greatest learning mechanisms you can use if you decide to actually take it as a learning mechanism. Yep. So for, for me around imposter syndrome, it's like, look, we all have it. Yep. I, now it's understanding to the degree to which you have it and I'm I know hoping I know hope is not a plan but you're in a position or in a situation where there are people that you can reach out to that you can have those like heart-to-heart -heart conversations yep mm -hmm. because to me there is an empathy um, aspect of this relationship building yep that it, it just doesn't happen like you have to have people part of your tribe mm -hmm. we always talk about who's your tribe who's your gang you run with nothing gang in a negative way but who's your clan <laughs> you know what i mean like right. who you run Absolutely. with that they can say like hey you know i'm gonna hold you accountable i want to be your accountability buddy i want to help build you up and what are the things that i can do in this two-way relationship to sort of do that so imposter syndrome to me is like you know look we acknowledge it yep and just hit it head on like yeah. you say put yourself out there yeah and it's okay to fail it's okay like it like i i'm totally trying to drive that type of mentality it's like it is okay to fail failure is one of the greatest learning lessons you got yeah now you just don't want to continue doing learn failing that way you want to at some point learn yep. something because people are going to look at you like okay yeah what's going on yeah i always preach like fail fast <laughs> you know like because fail fast is even beyond like just like be okay to fail it's like you know, I failed fast. Cool. That means that didn't work. So I can go on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. As far as uh, when you're saying, like, talk to people, I think it's even vulnerability sharing with people that you love that you have this vulnerability or, or this, like, weakness or something that you're not sure about. It doesn't even have to be in front of, like, your entire team, like, hello, everyone. I don't know this at all. <laughs> right. But if even, if even if I were to pull you aside and say, hey, let's go into the soundproof booth. <laughs> Like, hey, this this is what's going on. This, this is hard for me. Like, I think that's even, like, showing vulnerability to, for some people. Oh, yeah, definitely. Huge. 
for me, uh, what I'm I'm a huge fan of those motivational talks and whatnot, you know, on Spotify and all yep. the other YouTube what and whatnot. Uh, what I like to do when it comes like imposter syndrome, what I also recommend is to always keep in mind to myself or to someone I'm speaking to that may be feeling like an imposter at the time is speak about the people that succeed the most. You know, we look at Michael Jordan and other great finishers of sports and whatnot. Uh, mm -hmm. They take the most shots. So if you really want to be the great finisher or a great presenter or great at anything that you do, you have to take more shots. You yep. have to be the person to say, give me the ball. I'll take the shot. It's okay if I just have a huge miss, learn fast, yep. and uh, try to create a safe space so you can get the feedback that you need. So maybe you feel like an, less of an imposter next time. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, instead of going uh, straight to the the sort of the work vulnerability, I kind of want to do a, a slight pivot because there's something kind of near and dear to I think all of our hearts is mm -hmm. diversity. And I think being from a diverse background or being a minority, being an underrepresented person and going to get a new job at a new place where you might be in the majority, that, that creates a, a sort of a mode to have imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. There was a video that I, I put out last week about if you're going to be interviewing, you might not look like the people that are sitting across from you. And the the gut reaction is to try to fit in. Try to fit in and try to be like everybody that's sitting across from you. But I sort of said that I think the more appropriate thing to do is to stand out. Like let your personality show, let who you are show. And I, I think there are, we talked about this uh, a little bit. And, and there is definitely like steps to it and levels because yeah. not everybody can just do it right away and <laughs> pop out there right can't go all militant on people like, yeah hey, exactly. yeah oh. like hey this is me <laughs> that doesn't work but uh yeah so what are your thoughts on on vulnerability uh diversity and actually like being in in a place where you are yourself huh so i would say for me personally like my experiences around diversity is, especially being out here in the bay area and you guys all can attest to this that it's 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 a journey. Yep. Um, definitely a journey that requires, I think, a lot of patience. There's mm -hmm. um, negotiations that have to happen between people to sort of drop down the walls. I think there's some hurdles that people go through and like, well, I'm assuming you know this type of stuff. Like we talked about some colloquialisms around cultural stuff. Like uh, I remember one of my interview processes, they talked about like a Star Trek related questionnaire. And I was looking at them like... Uh, Unfortunately, I don't know too much about this to really put the pieces together in a way. Right. right. And I felt that um, it was like a disadvantage because I didn't understand, like, what was the nuance there. And I tried my best to sort of you know, deduce that. But it's, I would say for me personally, the biggest thing around it is, like, driving around it, the elements of, okay, yes, it's a tough discussion, mm -hmm. but let's have it. Right. And the, the balance I've been trying to have in my career now is, like, I just don't want to be tokenized for that. Yep. And sometimes it can come off. I know that people mean well, but it can come off like, oh, you're that. Mm -hmm. Come help with this. Yep. Right. And how do you balance that with whether the genuineness behind the thing, behind the ass versus the presence of you being the thing that's lacking. Right. And you driving that. Yep. As an undocumented tax to the thing that you have to do. Right. That to me has been one of the unique, I would say, uh, journeys here in the Bay Area. Then I that I did not see being back in the DMV and as the DC, Maryland, Virginia. Right. <laughs> 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 
Uh, random fact, uh, we have all lived in Maryland at one point or another. <laughs> Probably uh, with overlap, Yes. Too. <laughs> Probably with overlap, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. What about you, Ron? Um, yeah, so I've been th- through some startups and some large corporations where, you know, I've seen all types of diversity. Uh, for me, I think that I've been very fortunate to work on a few very diverse teams. A few right. of the teams that I've worked on or a few of the organizations I've worked with have not been diverse at all. I've been to some states where it just seems like the the ball is a little more slow rolling, mm-hmm. and that dynamic is always different. You know, right. the conversations are different, yeah. the references, and I think the the ability to fit in and like just jump right into it in the the workplaces that aren't diverse, it's a lot more rigid. Right. Because you have a group that all kind of has a similar you know thought patterns and whatnot Mm -hmm. but in diverse workplaces you really see the collective and and the differences in thoughts yeah and beliefs and ways of life so i think that since those are since that's the case of the diverse workplaces i think you'll have a lot more growth opportunities to grow as like a human being but also to grow your technical abilities asking for help from people that might not look like you or might not relate to you on all aspects, it's uh, it's pretty nice. Right, yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. So have you guys ever seen, uh, what's the name of them? Oh, World War Z with Brad Pitt? Yeah. yeah. So I read the book, and then the, the movie was, like, completely different than the book, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Both in the book and in the movie, uh, there he goes to, like, this uh, Middle Eastern country. I can't exactly remember which one. But in their culture, they said uh, they have the, this uh, notion of the 10th man, which is if everyone says yes to something, it is the job of the 10th man to say no, which I think is amazing. Uh, but from a culture standpoint, if someone from that culture came here, like that would be a, a value add because they would always be the the sort of uh, what's the, the what's center. The, yeah, right. The, the center <laughs> that would be like, oh, I don't know. It sounds like everybody agrees, but I'm going to go ahead and disagree. Like stuff like that is what levels up teams, what levels up people. I, and I love that stuff. So like it's people look at diversity. Oh, we just want to get diversity because we want different colors in our organization. That's not the, that's not the reason. The reason is you have people from different backgrounds that have different lessons learned that they've learned from their families, from their cultures, from their religions, from everything Huge. that could be applied to our problem set. Like we are dealing with problem sets every single day. Every single day in cybersecurity, there's like a different puzzle that we have to solve. And like having people with different backgrounds is a way to have different ideas. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just, just to piggyback off that, Chris, is perspectives. Yep. Like, each of our stories are our own, and we get to choose how we explain that narrative to other people, right. let alone the work part. Like, I think if, if you the perspectives of me as an individual interfacing with you and interfacing with you, Ron, definitely are different than how we would go about interfacing with other people. Yep. And I think allowing, I don't like using the word allowing, I think providing the platform for which people can speak their truths and speak their perspectives in a work environment to allow and foster that creative growth. I would believe that any company would want to foster that type of environment. And right. any team member would want to sort of be a part of that. Yes, there are challenges within it, but I think that's part of the work of being uncomfortable. Yep. And at this point in time, some aspects of your comfort is not up for discussion. There is a push to sort of get this uncomfortableness addressed so we can expand like what the unknown of like having high functioning, diverse operating teams. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. 
one of the things that I uh, was forced to confront is, you know, names. One, I had a very hard time remembering names. I was right. one of the challenges. But then mm-hmm. working in more diverse groups, there's a lot more names. There's a lot of names. So even people have issues saying my name, you know, if they're not used to saying Ronald, you know, they might have an issue. So I think that uh, for what I've learned, like my one of my vulnerabilities and ways that I've tried to be more vulnerable is just asking, like, and taking the time, like, how do yep. I get to connect with you? Like, yep. what's the best way? Like, is there something that I should be saying or something yep. that, you know, that we can connect on that we both share? Mm-hmm. So I think, like, just taking that time out is very special. Yeah. On the name tip, uh, one thing that I've done, and you guys can actually check this, I'd say 99.9% of the time, whenever somebody leaves me a comment on uh, LinkedIn, you reply. I, re- I reply and I use their name mm-hmm. almost 99.9% of the time. Yep. That post that went viral that has like 800 something comments, 400 of those comments is for me replying to everybody <laughs> and like restating their name. I've learned so many like new names like Siron. I didn't know Siron was the name. Yeah. I was like, man, that's a cool sounding name, but it's cool. Uh, but yeah, just names like being able to connect with people by saying their name yeah. is huge. Yeah. People love the sound of their own name. And that's not like an ego thing. That's just human nature. Like mm-hmm. people like the sound of it. And if you use their name and you pronounce it correctly, correctly. Yeah. that's huge. People love that. Uh, yeah, I would say just like one of the interesting things is like they're always like words have meaning. I'm pretty sure yes. names have meaning too. And there will be times where it's like, no, like people say, oh, you can call me this shortened name. It's like, no, no. What is the name that your mother or father gave you? Like, right. I always ask, like, I want to know the full name. Like, even with my kids, I, the same thing with, like, oh, like, well, my background, I'm Nigerian. So I have, like, my kids have Nigerian names and they have English names. And I said, like, no, there is a meaning to your name. And, and you want people to at least take the time to say, yeah, this is the name my mother called me. So I always ask people, like, what is the name your mother or father called you? Because I at least want to get that right. Like, if right. you want me to call you, like, a shortened f- form... I'll do that, but at first I gotta know the full name, like because I just think it's out of respect yeah. to the fact that you are named this. There's a reason why you are named this. Yeah. You're given this name. Right. Let me call you the name <laughs> that your parents gave you. So I, I believe wholeheartedly. Like, there's a, a level of connectedness. Yes. When when you can say, yeah, no, this is your name. This is how you pronounce it. Yes. I, I, even if you butcher it, if you're at least trying. It's like at least you care enough to put in the effort. To sort of say, like, yeah, this is your name. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of cool stories behind the names, too. Like, yeah. all types of interesting what they mean and or why someone named right. that person the name in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> My niece, her name is Khaleesi. Oh, whoa. Yeah. For real? <laughs> yeah. Can I say where it came from? I'm assuming. Where do you think it came okay, from? Okay, I'm just always going to make sure. <laughs> I didn't want to assume. Yeah, that's where it came from. But Ooh. no, her name is Khaleesi. I think it's a beautiful name, though. Yeah, that's awesome. And cool. one thing that I learned pretty recently was my parents didn't actually know if I was a boy or girl. So they just had to name me on the spot. So they just named my, me after my dad. Oh, like, wow. I know he's a boy. So we didn't think we we're going to have any boys. So let's just... I guess name him after you. Wow. <laughs> That's super cool. Cool. So, Nuatu, like, do you know what that means? Or uh, Actually, I don't know what actually Nuatu means. Um, I should at this point in my life. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, well, Chris, um, <laughs> back in Nigeria, there was a clan. <laughs> no, I mean, I would say, though, that, um, like, 
like, I, I'm very prideful to, about like my cultural yeah. uh, being Nigerian. And one of the things that, especially with the cybersecurity, like one of the things I do want to do, uh, just putting it out there, is that I want to be able to do like cybersecurity work on the continent of Africa. I think there's so much untapped talent. Yeah, uh, we talk about talent shortages across the globe, and I just have this this itch that I bet if we go there, there are great places, whether it's Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana. Ethiopia. There's probably many places that have the talent, but some part of it, the talent is once again opportunity. Like just even coming out here to the West Coast, I mean, it was an opportunity. And sometimes making that big leap in of itself is exposing vulnerability. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's a level of comfort. Like we could be back in the DMV and all be comfortable. Like I, like yeah. for real, for real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it out there. There's a, there's a lot of comforts that are built into being in the DMV. But yeah. being out here, it, there is a level of like vulnerableness that you're putting not even yourself maybe your family your significant other mm-hmm. um that you sort of have to work through and it's not it's not easy there's work that i'm pretty sure we all have put in to sort of built a platform of comfortness right for the people we love and for ourselves personally uh, real quick though i'm gonna dig into your uh past here for a second did you really translate code into spanish yeah <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that was my task as an intern at, uh, what is it, Inroads. Yeah. Inroads was the program. I was out in Dulles, Virginia. Yeah. And I think they were like, here, can you just do this? And, like, I, I was pretty good in Spanish. I was like, okay, I'll just try this. Right. And I was just doing this. Like, oh, this is fun. Like, I didn't know what I was doing in terms of code-wise. I was just translating literally word for word. Really? Just the words? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I thought it was fun. Um, yeah. Like, my wife's Cuban, so I practice my Spanish wherever I can. So Yeah. Are you getting pretty um, good? or I-, I would say un poquito. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying. Very cool. <laughs> I need to get on my Spanish game because I kind of look Spanish, but I'm, I'm not. Spanish, you know? <laughs> Uh, people look at me like, what are you? Why don't you speak Spanish? I'm like, because I'm not Hispanic. I'm sorry. He's like, hey, you should speak Spanish. I was like, all right, I will. I'll I'll work on it. Yeah, man. So I I hear that you have some uh, really awesome diversity things that you're behind and kind of advocating for. Yeah, I got a whole list of them. (laughs) Um, it's like one of the things I, like I said, I mentioned before, I love people. Um, I volunteer like there's one organization I volunteered here once I got out here it was uh, Black Girls Code mm-hmm. with Kimberly Rudd like I remember messaging her from DC saying oh I want to join you once I get out there and then when I got out here I was like oh I'm going to join you now and she <laughs> like she's an amazing woman and she's done great uh, for that organization uh, Code 2040 is another one I think to have an amazing mission statement uh, I know Carla is, uh, is like revamping and redoing I think they just opened up the new pro. Uh, that their new program has just came out and opened up in the past couple of days. So definitely I would recommend anyone who's uh, within university in the junior, senior year to go look at the Code 2040 website. Um, there's Women in Cyber Jitsu, mm-hmm. uh, the, Mari and the rest of the gang out there, they, and, uh, Jules, definitely have been great. So I think there's a lot of organizations that are pushing, whether it's gender, you know, getting girls to code, whether it's getting just exposing the platform of coding and hopefully cybersecurity. And then Chris and I, we've been talking about in particular. Yes, sir. Oh, how can I forget this one? Dev Color. Yep. Dev Color is like my, 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 my family. Like mm-hmm. that's that's my family. I go there to rejuvenate uh, being a part of like the black experience out here in the Bay Area. And Dev Color has been that and so much more. So I, I shout out to Dev Color. Awesome. But another thing we've been talking about is like how do we get more individuals in cybersecurity like i love this field it is an amazing field of very diverse backgrounds and diverse experiences 
And I'm like, y'all should want to do this. Right. <laughs> how do I get you to, how, how do I entice you into this family of cybersecurity? So I'm going to peep everybody to uh, one of my secret sort of like missions is I think that cybersecurity is an equalizer for across genders, across race, across uh, gender orientation, sexual orientation, everything. We are hurting so bad for people that I think everybody that's coming in could command like a salary. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I yeah. Huge. If you, if you literally don't do anything right now, but you spent the next six months in your off time, maybe like two to four hours a night working on something, you would find a position somewhere in the United in States sense. yeah, I agree. making money. And it doesn't matter who you are, in my opinion. I, I think it's that. a good equalizer. Yeah. I agree. It's uh I've and I love mentorship. So one of the things I get excited about most is like the fact that you don't necessarily need a clear path. You don't need to follow my path even. You just need to make sure that you learn the things that interest you most mm -hmm. in the field. And as long as you do that, you have a pretty good shot at landing in a in an opportunity that's pretty relevant. You know, yep. there's red team, blue team, purple team, yeah, uh, threat intel, SOC, yep. uh, all Everything. types of things, so compliance, much. program management. Yep. So. so I'm going to throw a spicy question to follow that up. Whew. Here we go. <laughs> so Let's there, do it. there have been some t um, tweets in the past where they talked about, you know, do you need a certification to get into security? Oh, yeah. And, 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 and I have a challenge around this because it's like, well, there are, are so-called gatekeepers to some degree where people are like, oh, do you know who and who? Do you know so-and-so? Like, it's more of like access based on relationship, which I know part of the world works like that, and then versus access versus access versus what you know, like what yep. you know. Right. And how do you translate what you know to versus like who you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm interested, like, how do you guys tackle that? And how have you experienced that in your paths to getting where you are? You want me to go first? Go for it. Go All for right. It. So, yeah, because I got something <laughs> for that. So, yeah, someone actually posted that on LinkedIn. And I answer, I said, nope, you don't need certifications. And here's why. I, and I have no data to back this up, but follow me. If you had a resume and it literally said no companies and it said no schooling or no certifications, but it went down all of the projects this person did over years, like whether they stood up uh, an internal sock on their own, like they changed their network so that they were actually collecting logs and they like highlighted how they did all this like research mm -hmm. or they wrote something and put it on GitHub and shows like it, these are there are actual like cybersecurity people like that are like using this mm -hmm. or the, I've done a talk on red teaming, even though I've never done it and and never gotten paid for it. I understand it to a degree that I can explain it. I think if you came in and you like presented that resume, I think you'd get in. And I think if people were like trying to dig and see like how much do you actually know and you knew your stuff, I think you'd get the job. I don't think you have to have certifications. I don't think you have to have traditional education in order to get there. I think we're hurting so bad for people that just having the experience, just like I say, like do a project. If you do a project, you're going to run into problems that people that are getting paid run into. And if you have answers for those problems, Even what does it matter? <laughs> what does it matter? If I can bring you in and you can do it, what does it matter? Perfect. That's that's the solution. Yeah. 
and, and just to re- the reason why I bring that up is because we talk about diversity in the sense of like you know underrepresented individuals and gender orientation and things like that. But I also talk about it from skill set level in terms of junior versus mid level versus senior. Right. Like there are some job roles out there. You read it and it's like, oh, three years. You want me to have built a you no know, a, a world class <laughs> system that has yep. scaling and resilience. Right. And I'm just like, what the, for three years. This is what you're like. Right. It's like how do you how in in our profession. Right. How do we balance the fact of we have a from my manager perspective, I've seen a lot of young candidates that unfortunately we are trying to fill like mids to senior roles in the industry. Right. How do we give this group the opportunity to gain those experiences to sort of drive because that's part of diversity right there is like sometimes getting some new eyes from new thoughts and new backgrounds can challenge what's already there. Exactly. I know you've seen a lot of socks and you've seen a lot of organizations like have you seen like a a sort of a a stovepipe of of talent because everybody's just looking for seniors or have you seen some junior people? I've seen uh, all aspects of the spectrum. So I've seen some situations where SOX and also uh, some IR teams are hiring older older individuals, like uh, people that have already retired from their first career. Oh, wow. Yeah, very interesting. interesting. Pretty cool way to onboard uh, and give you know vets a shot, give guys that have retired from government jobs right. uh, a shot at doing security analysis. Uh, I've also seen quite a few organizations just hire uh, – uh, college graduates. Yeah, I think that it, it works pretty effectively now, only because uh, a lot of these degree programs have coding built in, so they understand they understand a bit of the security and a bit of the application and how it works underneath the hood. Right. When it comes to like the no experience or no education, I think you have to at least come with a resume. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, you like, can't just show up like, like I'm hey, here. Oh yeah, yeah, I want a job. I did some projects. <laughs> yeah. Nah, you got to write it out. And you have to be convincing. Yeah. So your resume could be a GitHub project that went well, and you have some stars on GitHub. Maybe a Medium post. It could be a certification. It could be your degree. But I think as long as you have some sort of resume showing that you've participated in building your experience and building uh, somewhat of a career towards. Infosec, then it's pretty straightforward if you know someone. Right. Yeah. If you if you know someone, then it's more straightforward. But the I see some difference here because there's uh, a layer of separation. There's typically HR or recruiting involved that don't necessarily know. Hey, this GitHub uh, project was pretty popular, so there could be a problem with the gatekeepers of actually getting into the organization. But I think as long as you have the resume. With a connection, it's it's plenty. Yeah. Cool. What do you got? So, like, to round this out, uh, we, we started with the personal. We talked a, bit, a little bit about diversity, vulnerability in the workplace. Now let's get back to our vulnerability at work. So what are some ways you guys so, sort, of, uh, sort of show vulnerability at work? I'll let you start this one out. <laughs> <laughs> so for me personally, I've – Chris, you can call me out if I'm wrong here. <laughs> Um, I, I agree. Like when I don't know something, I don't know. And I, I am a big believer of like, let me ask the questions to, to learn more. Like right. I want to either scratch or dig into the thing that I don't know. I want to, as we would say, lean into the things that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, I'm a big proponent of creating an atmosphere that allows people to really like open up and, 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 and take that risk. Like I said, if you don't go to the limb, that's where the fruit is. Like if you're yeah. not going to take any risk. Mm-hmm. I actually think it does you a disservice because you will be operating in a way that limits what you can do. 
Mm-hmm. You will not drive innovation. Right. You will not drive change because you're, you, you're, you may have the tendency to sort of hold back and pull back. When really, as a manager, I'm trying to say, okay, no, no, no. Reach out. Pull up. Branch out. Like, I really want you to do that. So for me, like, being vulnerable is like showing that I'm vulnerable myself. Yep. And owning that vulnerability amongst my team and across not just my ICs, but also, like, my management tier. Mm-hmm. Like, I, no, I, I don't know everything. And right. I'm okay saying that. I've... I've I've worked comfortably to say, like, I don't know everything, and I'm okay with that now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I used to try to learn all the things, do all the programming on the side, but there's a scale that, you know what, that just does not work. Yeah, it does not work. <laughs> Leave it to everyone else. Exactly. Yeah, that's definitely tough. Uh, for me, my workplace uh, vulnerability and how I've been becoming more vulnerable in the workplace is – reminding myself that there is a kid on the inside so Hmm. bringing my inner kid out and playing a little bit at work getting to know people a little bit better and also playing some games so i i'm not much of a ping pong player okay but a way that i'm vulnerable at work is playing ping pong and i i lose every time okay (laughs) (laughs) so everyone's exploiting that vulnerability right (laughs) (laughs) you think someone would have let me win by now but nah (laughs) nah so you're too buff to to let you win (laughs) exactly i'll be ron oh you be ron (laughs) you got no game (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think that uh for me it's just been uh Getting to know people and allowing people uh, a looking glass into my life and yep. what I find joy in and what I'm, you know, doing, not necessarily my spare time, but what I get most excited about. Right. For me, I feel like I'm always like putting myself out there. Like I started my company. I stood out there on my own. I felt naked. Like there was no support system. There was like, hey, don't worry. Checks are coming every two weeks. There was none of that. <laughs> so that <laughs> was like sort of my first interaction with vulnerability in the workplace and even right now what i'm doing at netflix is standing up this this purple team and i'm doing it with certain blockers that i'm trying to work around so there it makes it more difficult and so it could fail i hope it doesn't i don't think it will because i think it's something that we need in our in our environment and something we need for our company but it it could fail if I don't do it right. So I'm trying to do my due diligence, make sure that it doesn't fail, make sure I think of everything, include people that might know more about uh, certain topics so that I know that I have a good sort of panel to ping questions off of. But again, it could fail. And that's, that's part of vulnerability. Huge. Yeah. Failure is a great learning lesson. If you choose to learn from it, it's, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this has been a great, great, episode uh thank you so much for coming out i know it was a long drive (laughs) yes uh this is going to be a great one i hope everybody connects with it i hope somebody takes some lessons from the stuff that you you guys are talking about and yeah that's that about covers it what's uh the best form of uh best way someone can Can reach me yeah um i would say definitely on linkedin uh twitter at charles underscore nwatu um, those are probably the best primary ways to reach out to me. I'll probably make some plugs real quick. If that's all right with yeah, y'all. Yeah, do, yeah. Do what um, you got to do. Definitely, you know, we at the Netflix family are looking for security professionals. I always, always call that out. And even if it's not at Netflix, one of the things I tell, you know, tell people is like, look, this network is small. 
I'm all about building relationships with people. And if I don't know something, I'll point you to someone that has uh, an insight. And, and Chris, you can attest to that. I just try to put people with other people so they can go find the things that they need. So that's something I really want to call out. So we, we're hiring. Yeah, always. <laughs> and we definitely would love to increase the uh, unrepresented population in cybersecurity as a whole, whether that's in the Bay Area or any other company. Like, that's an initiative that I just personally believe that we need to do. So please reach out to us and let that happen. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, for anyone that hasn't checked out Tribe of oh Hackers, uh, definitely check out Charles's, uh, <laughs> his uh, interview in this was really awesome. And that's actually how we were introduced through this, uh, this book. So yeah. Shout out to Marcus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing gentleman. Fantastic. That's it, y'all. Hope you enjoyed it. That's it. We'll see you in the next one. See you guys. Oh, <laughs>